Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello and welcome back to Godsplaining. I am Father Gregory Pine. I am joined here with a regular, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and with a guest, Mr. Trent Horn. So first, let's uh, check in with Father Patrick, see how things are in Washington, D.C., so that I can retain a meaningful connection to my house of assignment. Father Patrick, how are you doing? Well, I have to say, I've been enjoying immensely the move south. Uh, it, uh, I grew more accustomed to the dramatic and frightening cold of New England than I thought, because I've realized that I, I really like living more towards the south. Now, I recognize there's a debate about whether Washington, D.C. is really in the south, uh, so I'm not, I'm not interested in opening that. I'm just declaring right now Washington is in the south. And the reason I know is that during the month of December, you know, in a, as we end of January here, um, it is unseasonably warm, unseasonably, you know, for a New Englander. But down here, it's just normal. It's like 60 degrees and great. Yep. So how's awesome. Freeburg, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. The good news is um, they make all of the weather numbers smaller, so that way they're less terrifying. So it's mm. minus a single digit number, um, which right. I guess is better than the alternative. Uh, but we are joined here uh, by one Trent Horn. Uh, so certainly very delighted to have you on. And I suspect that many of our many of our listeners and viewers know you from your work uh, on your own channel, Council of Trent, and then also the contributions, the excellent contributions that you've made on Matt Frad's channel, Pints with Aquinas. But if you would, uh, maybe maybe just say a word of introduction, places where we can find your work, places where you are presently at work. Sure. Well, my name is Trent Horn. I'm a staff apologist for Catholic Answers. So I um, have been with Catholic Answers since, I don't know, about 2012, I would say. Uh, and that's been a really great experience. I've written several books, I've done debates and public dialogues. I've had a podcast now for a few years, The Council of Trent, uh, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, of course. Uh, and people can go and check that out on iTunes, Google Play, and on YouTube, where I do rebuttal videos to anti-Catholic content and uh, also engage people on various aspects of the faith with an emphasis on edifying people to help them better explain and defend the Catholic faith. That's incredible. Um, something small and anecdotal is, so uh, like a common way in which to start a conversation among Catholics in the United States is to ask like what podcasts you listen to, which is kind of cool because it signifies that people are engaged and people are desirous of this type of formation. Um, I somewhat unwittingly like just transitioned seamlessly into life in Switzerland by posing similar questions. And I found that that our basically our experience of the faith in the United States is is different, right? Uh, I'm not going to say better. I'm just going to go ahead and say different. Um, God bless America and God bless the American church. But certainly, I mean, when you think about the landscape of it, Catholic Answers had been doing it for a long time and has been doing it very, very well, uh, which I think is, I don't know, I, I think that's something that's really cool to be part of an organization that is, like you said, like the words that you use, edifying, um, defending, you know, these are these are things that, that have created a culture in the United States where it's like, it's, yeah, it's just mobilized a generation of Catholics who are who are engaged. So thank you. Um, no, it's it's, awesome. it's been great. To, it's been great to be a part of. And yeah, I was I was in Switzerland. Um, well, my wife and I were there for our honeymoon about seven years ago. So it was, it was a beautiful place. The only thing I didn't like was when at a restaurant you had to pay for the ketchup packets. And I'm like, that's not the American <laughs> way, you know. So 
That's right. The American way is that we hand you a fistful of 18 with the full expectation that you throw away 16 of them because this country Darn is right. great. <laughs> God bless America. All right. Amen. Hallelujah. So be it. Uh, so, so we thought that for this episode, we would talk a little bit about the relationship between God and time. And um, yeah, so I'll maybe pose a little, a couple of thoughts and then Father Patrick and I will bounce things back and forth as you kind of hold forth or as it were, or, or kind of help us to shape or formulate some thoughts about how that relationship works. And I think m maybe just kind of on an everyday, I go to church, I pray, I study the faith kind of level. I think the relationship between God and time is confusing because we have yeah. some principles, but we don't necessarily know how they all connect. So could you maybe just lead us into the conversation? What are some, what are some principles or what are some first steps that we need to have in place in order to think well about the relationship for our sanctification, for our growth in the faith? Well, I think that this is such an important topic. And you asked me what were some things that I was were percolating in my mind before coming on the show. And I was thinking, what is a really kind of brainy topic to talk with a uh, a couple of brains like yourselves about seeing, you know, both of you engaging uh, important theological issues. And I think God and time is a really fascinating one. And some people might say, oh, this is just theological nitpicking. Is that such a big deal? Well, no, it really is a big deal because when I have done other engagements, I, I was at a conference. Uh, it was mostly actually evangelicals speaking, pro well, Protestants at this apologetics conference. I was the only Catholic there speaking at it. And uh, we had a we had a panel discussion, and uh, we actually posed the question: How many of you believe that God is timeless? And I think only one other person on the panel said yes, along with me, and that everyone else had a very different view. And so, and, and I've seen this: that we have to be very careful with God to make God the Creator, not just one being among many, but to make God being itself. That God is not just like a creature, but magnified by infinity. But God is so wholly different to give him his proper glory. If we confine God within time, then I think we risk turning God into a creature. He might be a very powerful celestial creature, but he would he would essentially become a, a creature not worthy of the proper glory, and we would start to lose uh, other insights to him. Now, I know this is hard because a lot of people it, you know, it's it's hard that God is so different from us. He has to condescend and come down to our level. So it's easy to mistake God as just another creature. So I guess one thing, I, that's one thing I want to start out with, just the distinction between creature and creator and how God mm -hmm. is not a being. He is being itself. And all of our language we use to talk about God is analogical. It always falls short of the mystery of God. I think that's like paragraph 42 of the Catechism. The other starting point I think we really need to have is a proper definition of time. I think it was St. Augustine who said that he knew what time was when nobody asked him. <laughs> but as soon mm. as somebody asks him, he can't come up with a definition. It's hard. We, we're all familiar. We think of clocks. We think of uh, things going from past, present to future. One definition I like, and admittedly all definitions are going to be incomplete, is that time is a measurement of change. So time is that part of reality that measures change in things. And so uh, that's how we, you know, when we think of time, uh, we, and especially in this universe, we think of things tending towards decay or disorder. So like if I showed you video of billiard balls reassembling into a rack formation, 
you would naturally assume the billiard balls, sorry, that the video is being shown in reverse because that's not how time progresses, not how things progress. They tend towards disorder in this universe. So I think that time, we have to think of it as this kind of measurement of change related to past, present, and future. But God, God is infinite being that does not change. He doesn't grow in knowledge or power or wisdom. He is knowledge. He is power. He is wisdom. And so I think it's important to understand that God created time. He's not bound by it, but we have to still puzzle about how he's related to it. So I guess that's maybe how I I tee it off. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a great place to start. When I I taught the confessions um, to undergrads at Providence College, I did that that a couple years. um, And one of the conversations they didn't really appreciate was Book 11 of the Confessions, where Augustine really gets into this, right? And ask, well, what is God's, what then is, if God is impassable, as you're, as you're saying, um, if God is outside of uh, change, what then is God's relationship to things that change, right? That's uh, j- just to re-articulate and, and uh, hone in on the, the, where, you, where you left in the introduction. Because I, I think that's where, where, a lot of, um, where a lot of our listeners, where a lot of um, regular Catholics are, are coming from, right? To say like, well, how does, how does God uh, relate to my life as I experience all of these things, right? Um, so how does God, right? if God is changeless, right, how does, God, um, how does God relate to the fact that I'm experiencing things in time? Yeah, and so I think that, and this will get further into what Aquinas says, which a lot of things that are shocking to the modern mind, even to many theologians who are not a part of the classical theist tradition, to say, well, properly speaking, God does not relate to us we we relate to him that it's it's very difficult that when we try to understand god i mean it's it's fine it's like it's like taking baby steps i have a six-year-old a four-year-old and a one-year-old and i explain the world to them but i always i explain it in a way that they can understand but is always going to be a little bit imprecise if they take it too literally and so when we think of god because sometimes even many adults might think of god he is sitting around he's he's thinking about us deciding what to do even if you weren't sure about this, the whole time thing, God is all knowing. So because God is all knowing, he does not have to reason about anything. Re- it's like when I'm reading books to my kids, they, they you know, the, the on the, now actually, they're actually blowing way past that. They're reading quite well, but when they, <laughs> but when they first, well, when they first started, when they're like, you know, four or five, the, 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 you know, when you're an adult, you're like painfully, whereas you and I, when we read the page, we get, we get the sentence in like an instant, but they have to like painfully get through every syllable. So like from God's perspective to us, you know, when you and I, even with our amazing Dominican discourses on all these things, from God's perspective, that's like the, the, you know, that it's so painfully, you know, like the smartest theologian you meet, that's what it sounds like to God, because for God doesn't reason, all truth is just immediately in a flash apparent to him. And so I, I think it's important for people to see that kind of difference. Yeah, I think that um, maybe, yeah, I don't know which way to go first, but I think that this notion of eternity in particular, okay, so we said that yes. God doesn't mm-hmm. change, and as a result of which God is eternal. I think that when we start thinking about eternity, we're just like, okay, so it's like time, but then you just keep going always and forever in both directions. Am I right? Am I right? It's like, no, because I, I keep going back to the definition that St. Thomas picks up from the tradition from St. Severinus Boethius. Where he says right. that to be eternal is to enjoy the whole and simultaneous possession of endless life. 
So it's not so much like a matter of continuing as it is a matter of possessing, but to think about God possessing all that is to be possessed in himself. Again, that's that like defies the compass of our minds. Oh, absolutely. So that's why it's really hard for us to try to create analogies, try to understand what that means for God. And you're right. I love Boethius's definition of eternity because there's a lot of people, even philosophers, like a lot of the philosophers that uh, and apologists and thinkers, when I was on that panel with other Protestants, many of them are committed to the view that God is temporal, that he's in time. Some of them hold to the view like William Lane Craig has that God is timeless, then he becomes temporal. Uh, when he creates the universe. But to me, that's a non-starter because that would involve change in the divine being and God does not change. Still others, Richard Swinburne and others, they, I think they would try to say that, yeah, eternity is like the arrows, like the number line. The number line goes to the negative numbers uh, forever, infinitely, and to the positive numbers infinitely and is just stretched out. But God's temporal life is not stretched out like the infinite number line. Uh, Boethius, it's, yeah, it says here, Eternity is the simultaneous, full, and perfect possession of interminable life, life that does not end, and you just have it all in one eternal now. So I guess like the closest analogy I can think of is like people in a movie theater, like imagine like real films, like, you know, it's celluloid, 24 frames through a projector, like you sit and you watch the frames through the projector and you're going through it frame by frame. God has got the entire reel. You know, and, and it's just, it's all just immediately apparent and knowledgeable to him, not so for the people who are going through it. Now, it's just an analogy. It's going to limp, but it's still serviceable. But I think that might be one way to look at it. Boom. All right. We're coming up on about halfway through the episode, so we're just going to take a quick break. And then when we return, uh, Father Patrick maybe can, can pose some particular questions that will be, you know, precious to our to our listeners. Like, okay, how does this cash out for me in terms of, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. All right. So stick with us, listener, and we'll be back in the other side of the break. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Godsplaining. We're delighted to have you here with our guest, uh, Trent Horn, who is an apologist with Catholic Answers and is known uh, for his great work on a variety of channels. Most, uh, I guess, first, uh, foremost, his own, Council of Trent, C-O-U-N-S-E-L of Trent. Um, so yeah, Father Patrick, uh, I don't know, what do you think of the things that people listening to the first half of the episode are concerned about when it comes to God and time? What what can we... Uh, what can we think about now? Yeah, I think one of the one of the big questions I run into um, as a priest comes from the confessional is people trying to make sense of what happens in confession and uh, their past sins. So what I would like to walk through Trent is a little bit okay. If we say that God is God is outside time, um, all right. right? And let's let's assume that we've accepted everything that we argued in the first half of the episode. Uh, but I'm still stuck with the fact that I am in time. So. Right. I can imagine how God could erase my sins in, from God's perspective. But what, what, what do I, what, what am I stuck with? How do I make sense uh, of a past that is still very much with me, even though I believe that God is able to do something with it that's somehow outside of time? Right. And, and I think that that's um, 
helpful to understand. And seeing God as being timeless, I think that should give us great comfort in knowing that God is not subject to time like you or I, but he has complete sovereignty and dominion over our past, present, and future. And so he is able to access all of that to do amazing, glorious, and wonderful things. So to divert a little, not to divert too far, but we think, for example, about our, our Blessed Mother. Because God is sovereign over time in all of its moments, uh, he is able to apply the grace that Christ has merited on the cross retroactively uh, to Mary's own conception that it happened decades earlier because he is timeless and sovereign over time. I think that should give us comfort to know like when we are confessing our sins, that God, he purifies our souls and nothing from our past that is sinful is able to to define our future from that moment going forward. Now, I do think we do have to be careful. Sometimes we use these metaphors like, oh, you know, God forgets our sins. You know, well, God's all-knowing and impassable. He, he's not, it's not <laughs> like when Jesus gets to heaven, he's not going to be like, how did these holes get in my hands? You know, he's not going to literally, <laughs> you know, for, forget what, what happened to him. But it's a way of understanding that our sins are not held against us, but not just in the Protestant view, where it's like a legal void, but that we undergo ontological change in this very present moment that God has given us. And he gives us grace for a future to persevere if we cooperate with it. Okay, good. So you're arguing that God can change the past. <laughs> no, 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 no. God can change the effects of the past that endure to the present. If I made a 90-90 boo-boo, did something bad, and I asked for forgiveness, God is able to unbind me from the effects of what my sin has done to me in the present. But God cannot, he cannot change the past because uh, the, the, the past is, it's said and done uh, in, in creating the future. To do so would create, it would make a paradox. You know, if you think about any time travel movie, God doesn't do logical contradictions, doesn't make rocks so big he can't lift them. Uh, so I, I think that that is important to see. But that, so you're right though, the, like let's go back to Mary. Like if God were temporal and he's at uh, the crucifixion, and he were to say, oh, no, I, I should probably apply these merits to, to the, the Blessed Mother, and let me go back in time and do that. Well, wait, wouldn't I have already done that if it, if it happened? It doesn't work if God is in time for him to go back in time and to change things. That's a perspective from you and I here. But that's different than from, for, from God's perspective. And I think what's interesting, and maybe we could dwell on this a little bit more, I think a lot of people have questions. It's not so much about changing the past. I think they, a lot of them worry, well, if God perfectly knows the future, that means the future can't be changed. So how, right. you know, how am I free? I think that I've gotten a lot of that from people. A lot of questions that bother them. I don't, I'm sure you have as well. Well, the last yeah, time man. you heard confessions, maybe didn't come up, Trent. But no. <laughs> um, if, and if I could just ask one more follow-up, sure, since, sure. we're, since we're stuck about time travel, because I, I think it is related. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is to say, uh, okay, so, all right. So let's, let's say I, I'm, I'm, being, I'm playing nice and I accept everything you say about the past because I do, and I think you're correct. Uh, what, think we, what then do we say about the, the mystery of the Eucharist? Because it is the same Christ, according to the Catholic Church, right. uh, who suffers on Calvary that is presented to us um, when we celebrate the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Right, and I, I think once again, that comes from the 
properly speaking about understanding that God is um, sovereign over time and space. So that we talk about God being omnipresent. He is present at all moments of space. He's not identical to the things that make up the world, but his power and uh, influence is present through all of it. So it wouldn't be just any moment of space, but also any moment of time as well that God makes himself present. And so God having, you know, if he has the entire timeline, so to speak, uh, in view in front of him, uh, then he is able to make parts of it present to other parts without altering what has happened in the causal history of the universe. Uh, so everything that has happened ever since the crucifixion and as a result of it, like the growth of the church, none of that is going to be altered. God is just taking what was real at a moment of time in the past. And of course, it depends on your view about past, present, and future, what's real and what isn't. But he takes at the very least what was real in the past and is able to make it present and real at any other point on the timeline. Um, and, I th and I think that this is helpful. It's like when people say, you know, how could we travel through time? We can't do that. How, how, you know, we try to understand, well, we could maybe do that into the future, but not to the past because the past is done. The future exists as potentiality. It's like if I have a piece of paper and I draw two dots on the ends of the paper, you could get to them on a straight line or you could fold the paper and go right through mm. it. And so I think if we think of it in that way, that you and I are on the paper, stuck within it, God transcends it. And there are ways we can't even comprehend for how he can make different parts of it present in other parts. I never realized, well, yeah, I guess I didn't realize the extent to which time travel movies actually provide helpful thought experiments for thinking about theological questions. Cause it's funny, like as you're talking about, so God knows the future, so it can't be other than that it is. I think they're about the movie Tenet. Uh, well, I guess it came out maybe a year or two ago. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Where, because uh, John David Washington's character sees himself, he feels like what is to come is basically inexorable. And then talking about like folding that piece of paper, I don't know if you saw the movie Deja Vu with Denzel Washington. Yes. But that's yeah. the way that the time travel there is described, the, the quote unquote Wheeler barrier. Um, all right. I love it. I, I, I love that uh, science fiction movies become eminently practical when thinking about the divine nature. <laughs> yeah, but I think what's helpful is we we get paradoxes in time travel because we're moving in time as temporal yeah. agents. But if God is timeless, those paradoxes don't accrue. Like in the future, it's not the case that God is here in time knowing everything that will happen. And so it's kind of frozen into the future. It's just the same as because people will be like, well, how could I be free? Well, God is looking at us now and we're free to act as we want to. It's just the case that in the future, present in the future when the future becomes the present those future moments god just sees them as a present as well to his eternal now so just as he looks at us now and we're free if god looks at us in his now which is our future it's perceived still as a present and we're free to act or not act at any point in the timeline okay let's um let's take this thought and then let's apply it in the case that you proposes uh, that you proposed earlier with respect to the freedom of future actions. All right, so let's let's set up a, a false syllogism and then let's talk about why it's false. All right, so so God knows past, present, and future, specifically future in this case, um, and God's knowledge is causal. Therefore, God causes the future as he foresees it. It follows from this that we are not free. What about our understanding of God's knowledge what about our understanding of God's causality? What about our understanding of our own causality? 
needs to be changed. And yeah, right. in the simplest of ways, like saying please and thank you or offering prayers of petition, like where where do we where do we engage with these questions? Yeah, and, and I think it's important, and this will get into the the finely tuned elements of metaphysics. So the traditional Thomistic understanding would be that God's knowledge is causal. What he knows is what brings about causes in the universe, but the causation is not univocal. There's not only one kind of cause. God is the primary cause that sustains all things, but it doesn't prevent us from being secondary causes uh, to be able to act either in accord or even against his will if we choose to, if we choose to disobey him. So I think in the syllogism that you gave, we have to be mindful of that. Though there are multiple ways to understand the how God knows the future and we have freedom. Like there's the Thomistic Boethian view that, that we're discussing. I will say maybe this will be a topic for a future show to come back on. I, I am seduced a little by Molina's views about middle knowledge, but <laughs> yeah. I opened a can of worms at the end of the show, but that might be something for a future discussion. Um, but I think that going back to the Thomistic understanding, we have to tease out a bit more what we mean by different kinds of causation. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Father Patrick? What keeps you up at night in these matters? Uh, well, I love, I mean, the, the, the idea that uh, the, uh, one of the classic ideas, we, we didn't really get to it. We just kind of moved beyond it. Um, in creation, uh, you you made very quickly, Trent, at the beginning of the, the conversation, the distinction between creator and creation, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think one thing, the reason I leaned so heavily on the anthropocentric view, which you destroyed so swiftly, and I was <laughs> very, very grateful you saw for what it was and moved beyond it yeah. uh, with prowess, um, is that is that people, uh, people have a desire, uh, a desire for God to be contingent as we are, um, because uh, we we want we want to believe that we that we matter, um, and as we look for meaning in the sense uh, uh, and uh, and defend you know even our own existence at the deepest levels, the idea that we are completely unnecessary is very scary for people. Um, and to say that God is the only necessary thing, and that we're completely unnecessary with respect to God uh, is is a is a challenging thing. That's a big view. A very controversial view. It's the classical right. view. It's the traditional view, um, but it's a very controversial view now. So, I, so when when we accept that uh, with a just kind of raw power and say, like, look, at the end of the day, what does it mean to say God cares for you? <laughs> to right. realize that it's to realize that it's it's different than some kind of causal necessity. God's compassion towards us is different right. than any kind of idea that that God needs us. You know, God is not changed by creation. Right, God is the one. Not he is God, the. He is the so, right. He is the source of all change, the prime mover, if if you will. That's the source of all that. I, I think since we're coming near to the end of our time together, I might. When you talk about God, creature, creator, that temptation to want to make God a creature like us, I think it's because yeah, we sort of want God to be safe in a box so that we define Him, He doesn't define us. It reminds me of this quote from C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, when mm. Susan is talking to Mr. Beaver about Aslan, who is an allegory, yes. of course, of, of God and yes. Jesus. And she says, you know, Aslan's a, a lion. He, oh, he said, tells her Aslan's the great lion. She says, I thought he'd be a man. Is he, is he safe? I'm nervous about meeting a lion. And the beaver tells Susan, well, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So Aslan is, you know, he's not, 
this safe, fluffy kitten. He's a lion. He's there. He's dangerous, but he's good. He's the king. And that's, I think, something we have to understand with God. We say, is God safe? No, God isn't safe. He's not wrapped in bubble wrap for your amusement, but he's good. He's the king. And so you need not worry. Yeah. And there I should be warning that, labels on God. Don't put this plastic bag of God over your head. <laughs> aim away from face. <laughs> yeah, that's right. God's judgment. Uh, aim away from soul. <laughs> oh, man. Savage. Um, so maybe, maybe just a, a final concluding thought. Um, I'm thinking about this at the level of prayer. All right. Mm. So we pray and it matters because God makes it to matter. Um, where do our, where do our prayers fit in the flow of time? Where do our prayers take root in God's eternity? And how does that animate us to be more devout, to be more fervent in making them? Well, and I think what's helpful here is because God is timeless, we don't have to think we don't have any role to play. Our God is the one who causes everything, but we cooperate with him. It's like when I let my kids steer the steering wheel and my pedals on the gas when I take them to the parking lot. You know, I do let them exercise some control, and God allows us to do that in prayer. So when past, present, and future are timeless, it makes me think of uh, well, on future, think about what happened with Joseph and his brothers. They sold him into slavery. When he reunites with his brothers later in life in Genesis chapter 50, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the salvation of many souls. That God's, that when we pray and ask for things of God, that the future, he is taking care of it. He, he's going to order all things to his good end. And we are a part of that. The past also allows us an opportunity in we can't change the past. However, we can pray for elements of the past where God's will is not known. So I can't pray that Abraham Lincoln won't be assassinated, but I could pray that Abraham Lincoln would be in a state of grace when he was assassinated because we don't know what God's will was, wasn't disclosed at that point in time. So it may be the case that for centuries, our prayers of people being in grace in the past, that is applied retroactively when those past events were present because God is sovereign over time. It's, it's just neat stuff. <laughs> Boom. All right. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, for engaging in the conversation, uh, for sharing. Uh, yeah, we're blessed for it. Uh, if you would, maybe just remind our listeners one last time of venues where they can hear more from you. Yeah, I would definitely recommend my uh, podcast, The Council of Trent, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, Council of Trent on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play. My books are available where Catholic books are sold, and also Catholic Answers at Catholic.com. Boom. Man, Catholic.com. Got out ahead of that URL. Awesome. You bet. You bet. <laughs> All right. Well, viewers, uh, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to this particular episode. Um, yeah, some thoughts. Uh, we are kicking it back into gear in the new year with episodes of guest planning and live planning, and we're going to have live planning at a different time. So we're going to kind of alternate between afternoons and evenings, Eastern Standard Time on Tuesdays, just to uh, just try something new. Basically, the uh, the midweek rather than the end of week uh, uh, live stream. And then, yep, we got our normal Thursday episodes. We thank you for your efforts in liking, sharing, and subscribing, and getting the word out. Uh, we're very grateful for that. And thanks to all those who support us on Patreon uh, and to all those who support, support us in prayer more generally. Uh, so yeah, we're very grateful for you uh, and our prayers are for you for sure. We ask that you pray for us and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning 
work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.